0: to Creative Chit Chat with me, Ryan McLeod. This week's guest for episode four is Tommy Perman. He's an amazing artist, designer, musician, and more recently he's taken on a full-time post at DJCAD lecturing in animation, illustration, and graphics. We had an amazing chat that lasted uh, probably over an hour and 40 minutes, so what I've had to do is split this episode into two. So, you're obviously listening to part one just now, but part two will be out tomorrow morning, so Thursday morning. Part one, we really focused around his journey, so how he got to where he is just now, to to the point at which he's lecturing and briefly touch on a few of his, his pieces and his work up to that point. But before we dive into the podcast, there's one thing that I'd like to shamelessly plug, and that's a little Christmas project that I'm working on with. Katie Guthrie. And we've launched an amazing Christmas product called Wrapping Paper. Uh, That's Wrapping with an R because we've illustrated an East Coast and West Coast version of the Wrapping Paper with NWA, Snoop Dogg, Run DMC, Jay-Z, all on this amazing Wrapping Paper. And you can choose from your East Coast or West Coast version, whatever you like. Uh, We've put it on sale at Brewdog Dundee, so you can buy it there. It's all hand screen printed, painstakingly done by me and Katie. And it will be a limited run, so it's £7 a roll. If you're looking to get a really extra special wrapping paper for Christmas, then head over there. Um, It will be going online relatively soon, but I'll update you when that does happen. But for now, just at Brewdog Dundee. If you want to check out the wrapping paper, um, you can go onto my Twitter, and that's at Made by Slurp. There's a few little photos on there. So let's get on to the podcast with Tommy Perman.
1: Um, I suppose from my yeah, my childhood from very, very young, I was encouraged. I showed a kind of aptitude for drawing into my parents have always been incredibly encouraging. And um so from a very, very young age I had this inkling that I wanted to be an artist and to carry on drawing and um, that's just been with me since then and, um, and, and now I am, you know, I, I call myself an artist at the age of 36 so um, although it took me a long time to be brave enough to say that to people, I'm now more comfortable with it. But on that journey, I guess I, yeah, continued to to make drawings the whole time, but also exploring all other forms of making things. And um, from a very young age, making music was also there, and so doing drawings, making music, and then the other thing that was kind of omnipresent in my family home was computers. Um, Since I was I don't know maybe five years old perhaps younger but my dad um, started a magazine publishing company after he was made redundant from a newspaper and he was the first person in Scotland to do desktop publishing and so he had this incredible um, system in the spare bedroom in our house in Edinburgh and then after that he always used to be bringing home these incredibly big suitcase portable computers at the weekend from it, so that we could play these ridiculous, like low graphic games like De- Decathlon, where you had to press two keys together rapidly to like run a race and, and that kind of thing. And we would play that after tea of an evening, just green on black graphics. That was a, a compact computer that we put home, and then we had an, an Amstrad after that. and. And then Mac computers. Um, so computers were there since I was at primary school. And I was um, my dad used to get me and my older brother to go into his magazine company at the weekend, and we earned our pocket money by doing things like scanning in hundreds of photographs. Where they used to do yearbooks for other companies and stuff. So we're scanning in lots of people's portraits and and I've worked with Photoshop since version one now <laughs> and I, at primary school, I scanned in my P6 or P7 class portrait and remixed everybody's faces and then printed it out at my work and took it in the class and everyone was laughing because I'd swapped people's heads around and put people's hair upside down and done like smudgy things to faces and I'd swap, we had two teachers, one on something like one on Monday, Wednesday, Friday and another one on Tuesday and Thursday and I'd swap their heads around and one of the teachers, Mrs. Darcy, saw what I'd done and she was absolutely outraged. She was, she was quite cool and quite young but she was just horrified that I would manipulated this image of, I think she thought it was some kind of dark art that had used some kind of satanic magic, but she came out with this thing that I had breached copyright, so uh, I had confiscated the, the printout. So of a very young age of being kind of, uh, yeah, playing around with imaging on computers and uh, and getting into trouble for and um, from there, yeah, I just carried on doing um, those things together really, like doing some bits and pieces of, of badly made home music, um, me and my older brother used to do the whole kind of tape to tape, multi-tracking thing where we would have two ghetto blasters and we would record terrible covers of blues songs, like, yeah, I hope some of those still exist, but, um, and then getting like hold of um cassette four track players and and crappy keyboards that had um, kind of recording features in them that you could do like overdubs and stuff on them and then again um, my dad was made redundant from another newspaper and um he got a nice quite a nice payoff and blew it all One Christmas, buying each of his kids a musical instrument, and I opted to get Cubasis, which was (laughs) a bit of music software. I've been a a total geek since um, day one, and um, yeah, got into making electronic music around about the age of 14. At home, my old brother asked for a guitar, and my younger brother asked for a drum kit. We a very noisy household, mm. very understanding neighbours. Like a lot of people, I would always make, like if I made mixed things for folk, I would always be doing the, a sleeve design for it. Um, and while I was sitting, uh, I'd spend ages doing that. And I would kind of dream that when I was older, I would still get to do that and perhaps get to do that for a living. And I thought, there must be some people out there that do, do that. So maybe I could be one of them, and I just kind of fixated on that, and um, and more or less it's come true, and and then some. So I'm, I'm very very happy <laughs> with how things have turned out and the opportunities, and, and it feels like kind of sticking to your dreams and um, and just like working really like working really hard on the thing that you love doing has kind of seen that come true, and I, I kind of become an advocate for that way of trying to achieve things like if you know that there's something you really really want to do then you just have to work incredibly hard at it it's got to be unfortunately so much harder than you see other people working I think (laughs) it ends up being so after I left I left school early um, to do a portfolio course and then uh, applied to Uh, Glasgow School of Art and um, as my first choice and Gray's in Aberdeen as my second choice without any thought to those choices at all really, my older brother was in Glasgow and that was it didn't get into Glasgow, it was pretty miffed and wound up in Aberdeen without thinking it through at all and struggled there for quite a long time, found it quite a grim place to be at points. Met some really really amazing people uh, through DJing, handed in a mixtape to a bar like early on being there and it was like, oh yeah, yeah, totally come and DJ at this sort of open decks thing that we do and then on one night met just about every DJ in Aberdeen and they were all super friendly And, and so I kind of got into the music scene there really quickly but in terms of it was quite a, a dark patch for me. I went through some depression and really struggled with the whole art school thing. Um, I found it uh, massively confusing. I struggled to whether, know whether or not to pick like graphic design or painting, and in the end chose painting, but found it really inflexible um, as a course, and I had all these different interests that. I'd kept going since a very young age and they just wanted you to paint with oils on canvas and they were still harking back to basically the early 20th century for their points of reference they were showing you impressionism and post-impressionism and um, you know holding those particular like mostly French painters of the early 20th century late 19th century in very very high regard and um, and that was about it and it was I found that really really you know, it's like what about the last 100 years the last 50 years what about now <laughs> why <laughs> are we not looking I mean I really think we need to draw inspiration from everywhere and I was going to exhibitions all over the shop and um, across Scotland and in London and and just wondering why we weren't engaging with that much more. And, uh, and I was wanting to do interactive things. And, but I met some great people at art school um, and I formed a, a kind of art collective and, and band with two of them, uh, Kev Sim and, and Ziggy Campbell. And we kind of really by accident um, became an art collective who did all kinds of strange things and um, just had this, we had really similar interests. We were all, um, we (laughs) often said in interviews afterwards that we were visual artists trying to turn like our college degree into a kind of music degree. So we we kind of found each other because we were doing things with sound and, and music. When we graduated, it was quite a good time for for sound art so this is like uh, 2002, and and actually, I think the whole art funding climate was a lot better. Then we were very lucky and successful in, in getting a string of um, funded projects. The first one was through an art restaurant space in Aberdeen called Limousine Bowl, and um, we put in this silly pitch for. Um, this thing we'd been developing at art school called the Random Audio Therapy Unit, which in retrospect, I didn't really know about Brian Eno at the time, but pretty much every project I've done could have been like, a sort of poor imitation of Brian Eno. But it was like a a very kind of lo-fi, ever-evolving, sound installation i came up with the idea just because i was using mini discs at the time and i loved the fact that they had shuffle repeat as a mode on them so i would together with kevin z we developed this concept where we would go out and gather lots of different kinds of sounds and then we would put four mini discs together playing at once with these ever shuffling randomly combinations of of sound playing together and it was quite out there but at the time there wasn't that much going on like that certainly in Aberdeen or in Scotland so we successfully got this money to do a vinyl edition of it which is totally ludicrous and um, we pressed up 500 copies, hand screen printed sleeves for them that me and Kev designed. I did like a a litho printed booklet on really nice recycled paper um, with the printers in Edinburgh and we kind of collated everything together ourselves and I got these nice gold vinyl cut stickers done for them and we gave it a catalogue number as the first thing that we'd done as found uh, this arts collective and later to to morph into what we described as an experimental pop band and then kind of off the back of that and other projects we were up to, we got invited to do a touring exhibition, (laughs) Uh, we toured to three places in Scotland, um, Peacock Visual Arts, The Methan in Forfar, and um, the exhibition landed at the um, RSA in Edinburgh. On the mount a really prestigious gallery and it felt like we've totally made it you know <laughs> and i i we all worked incredibly hard for that and i did some uh, i was kind of still keeping lots of strands of things that i've been doing at art college going so i did a couple of canvases and did some screen prints and did some digital drawings and was experimenting with different ways of Printing them onto wood and with router and cut details and and lots of stuff and um, I just thought I thought my work was pretty good I was pretty excited about it but we got slated in the um, got a really rough review in the Herald um, and one of the. Well, the journalist referred to my work as reeking of Photoshop, which I <laughs> I thought was a, a hilarious insult, and I've um, I've since often. I've often wanted to return to that and use that for something. I imagine like uh, you came in from a pub one night, reeking of Photoshop, <laughs> being a, kind of nice thing for maybe like some kind of spy thriller.
0: So you said that it took, it took you a while to feel like an artist. Very long times. Is this, is still at this phase you don't feel like an artist or up to the exhibitions, did you feel like it and then you came back down again or? I didn't feel like an artist then. I, I think
1: I felt like, I felt like an artist my entire life, but I've not felt confident admitting it to just anybody you meet in public, you know, somebody asks you, what do you do? I felt that it's very handy for me to have these many hats that I can wear that I can say, "Well, I'm a graphic designer. I pick my moments when I unleash the artist. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite proud of what I do and like the opportunities that being an artist can afford you. And I love the kind of freedom of it and the directions it can take me in. It's really amazing. I feel so lucky. But there have been many, many times where, in different social situations, people have asked me. I hate being asked actually, and I hate asking people, "What do you do?" I think it's very reductive, but um, I don't often, still don't often, feel comfortable just saying, "Well, I'm an artist," or you know. it's
0: a really difficult question to answer yes. succinctly as well. Yeah. I think. You have to be mindful of who you're speaking to because exactly. their interpretation of the world and the little boxes that they put people in, yeah. as soon as you say something, if I was to say, I'm a designer, yeah. then that just opens you up to a whole world of other questions around, <laughs> oh, you're yeah. a fashion designer yeah. aren't it? Yeah. And then my default that I go to is, well, web designer. And that just makes me sort of go, oh, that's not what I am. That's not how I feel like I am because I'm much more than that. Yeah. But I don't want to stand there unless I do this and this and this and this and this. Mm -hmm. But you said, artist, do you feel that's a more all encompassing thing? Because aspects of what you do are design, are art, Mm -hmm. and they encompass a lot of different fields.
1: Yeah, I think I feel, I mean, I describe myself frequently as an artist, designer, and musician, Mm -hmm. but I think artist could encompass all those fields and should. If we go back, not very far at all you know a hundred years ago but much more recently the one really distinctions between these fields and that pleases (laughs) me i like you know and i still really like it when designers are invited to i don't know consider making an artwork or an artist is invited to design something because i don't yeah there are maybe practical knowledge pieces of knowledge and technical expertise that are required for certain types of tasks but in terms of ways of thinking I think all of these fields share an awful lot you know and and, um, are very happy together and sometimes I do think about jobs or activities in slightly different ways you know sometimes i do definitely feel like i'm inhabiting the role of a, a more conventional graphic designer or illustrator or composer or when i'm being asked to do a very specific thing but often not often I don't feel like different I mean, it's difficult to know um if different parts of your brain are being activated, isn't it, you know, like, and, um, and uh, I don't really, I'm not interested, <laughs> you know, um, in this left brain, right brain stuff, I don't understand.
0: I don't know if it necessarily matters either. I don't think, I think it does. If only in the way of people understanding you in a very succinct way. Yeah. But I think the most interesting people are always doing... New things and yeah. expanding their skill sets and, yeah. and trying to work in new ways with new medium and and they're the people who are really exciting and interesting and progressive, I suppose. I yeah. couldn't agree more.
1: It's just that's that's what every time I see somebody doing that or meet somebody doing that, I just you know, full of kind of excitement again and positivity and inspired and just. Re-energized, kind of uh, like I just want. There's other people like really doing this, and you know, um, I feel like preaching about it That's yeah. it. So it's probably what led me into teaching. You know, I'm ridiculously enthusiastic about it. I think it's a very fun way to live your life. And. Um, and every time yeah so no matter what stage somebody's at if they're like far into their career and still doing it or they're at the beginning and i can see that they're the that kind of person that really enjoys experimenting and playing it's, it's a brilliant thing
0: you mentioned teaching yes how did you
1: get where you are just now through um, fence records in fife because there's a lot of lecturers that live in in and around the East Nuke of Fife, who commute to teach at Duncan and I met John Rogers, who teaches in product design, social digital, here at Duncan of and And um, he really liked some of the interactive sound installations that Found went on to do. So we kind of became famous for one piece in particular called Cyberphone, which is. The, the tagline is an autonomous, emotional robot band. I'm sorry, my whole story is so disparate, bizarre and rambling, but anyway, John invited us, me and Ziggy up to speak to some of his product design students uh, on a few occasions. So we came in as kind of guest lecturers and talked did tutorials with students. And I really loved that actually. It was really inspiring seeing the kind of stuff that they were working on, the many, many different, um, technologies they were using and ideas that they were having and, um, and, uh, I got a nice feel for this art school as a, a place I, and then I kind of really wished I'd considered it as somewhere to study when I was looking around, but I didn't look around hard enough. And then after those, um, those things I was asked. Back again to cover one day a week. But since then, I've, so for two years, I have been teaching kind of a day a week in illustration. Mostly I was helping out with second year and fourth year. Um, and I loved that. I loved the, um, helping the fourth years kind of pick up momentum for the degree show. And, um, and I think that's quite a, an exciting time the second semester before the fourth years graduate um, becomes a a real hive of activity and quite stressful for them but like also quite kind of exciting and the momentum is building and they seem to get into a zone where they're capable of making work at a far faster rate and um, Mm. I was just amazed at some of the things that, you know, you talk about ideas one week and then the next, they had done them and made things, not always, some people didn't do them at all, Um, but yeah, some, some really incredible things being achieved, and that gave me a really good taste for teaching at that level, and I kind of decided that I wanted to carry that on as part of my life as, as an artist and, and somebody that enjoys working, making things and working with ideas, I found it really fulfilling. I suppose definitely worthy of a mention is the fact that me and my partner Helen became parents in 2013 and it changed, the, it changed absolutely everything for me. and. Um, all kinds of ways positive and negative and but certainly from a kind of sadly from a financial perspective i've never really been that motivated by money and i was able to live a very very humble life up until that point um where I didn't have many outgoings, monthly outgoings at all, and I could, think like, I was very good at managing my time and um, managing to just scrape by enough money to pay whatever I needed to from a month to month basis. And then becoming a parent, probably more just like my own perceived uh, idea of what a parent should be and the responsibilities that a parent might have. I changed I and mean, in discussion with Helen, we, through a, a long series of circumstances, I applied for my first proper job in a very, very, very long time. Having previously like, worked kind of on a freelance basis for a, a very interesting design agency in Edinburgh called 59 Limited. So they were the last people that I'd worked for that I would remotely consider being a proper job, and at the time. The intervening years probably like eight years i had pieced a living together from doing freelance illustration graphic design web design composing bits and pieces of music for film and um, like um, you know i'm incredibly fortunate that i managed to piece this kind of what might be described now i've learned as a portfolio career <laughs> um and also getting bits and pieces of funding from different people, earning some money from gigging, earning some money from selling music to um, um, library music publishing companies and bits and pieces like that and earning some music from and earning some money from having music played on the radio and, and like a really sort of fortunate collage of things, but it was never consistent from a month to month basis
0: but i think that's the reality of a lot of creatives running their own practice and you balance that the security of a full-time job versus the flexibility and the freedom that you have creating your own practice and it's a constant battle and i think the grass is always greener
1: yeah yeah definitely and at the moment i'm going through a kind of um, constant uh, reevaluation evaluation of that situation, and like, uh, okay, so this is really a five a day a week job, and pretty full on at that because I'm teaching across the graphic design and illustration departments, and I have, I'm definitely dealing with like 90 students on the regular, maybe 120 students and um, I feel the responsibility for that. I really want to engage with all of those students work and do a good job for them and communicate with them properly and that takes an awful lot of time and preparing things for them each week and, and I really care about it and like, the quality of the stuff that I put together and, um, is important to me and I want to make it a fun experience for them and I want to be an inspiring Lecturer, I want to be the person that's kind of making them think, yes, art school is a good place to be and this is fun and I'm glad I'm here. Do you think that's linked to your negative
0: experiences at art school?
1: Definitely, definitely. And so, yeah, and, I, and I, in a weird way, although I've been through a lot since I left art school, I, f- I still feel quite close to that. When I've been here at the time of the like, degree show coming up, I've, I've felt kind of still on a level with them. I feel their pain and excitement and I don't feel like it's been that long since I was in their shoes. I guess that helps um, my level of understanding of what they're going through and what it's like to be an art student. But yeah, I I think my... it definitely wasn't wholly negative at all, Mm. but I ended up managing to make my experience really, really good realization was that it had to come from me and I think that's like a a very important thing a very like adult lesson to learn isn't it like growing up like oh no you're the only person that can actually change things like and uh, or not necessarily change things but in terms of the university experience you I realized that I was teaching myself, I was there to teach myself the the lecturers weren't there to teach me that, um, you know, it was up to me to make the most of that time there and the experience. And I think once I figured that out, things fell into place and and I'm hoping to try and encourage my students to to find that realisation. But, you know, everybody can only discover that for themselves. And it doesn't matter if I tell people that you know it's it's a personal
0: thing. One of the things that's I suppose it's key in an artist or a designer's practice, but it's also very key at art school is the concept of quality, and how you instil that in your work, and I suppose also your ethos and how you conduct yourself in your practice. So how how do you install that in your students and, and how do you get them to to strive for a high quality in work?
1: That's a very
0: good question
1: and a, a difficult one to something that needs re-evaluating all the time but at the moment my methods of trying to instill quality are, are mostly just so sharing as many examples of what I consider to be good quality work, which I think I have reaffirmed that it's good quality work because I check (laughs) across the international community and um, you know looking for people that are quite universally regarded to be good in their field. And I give these as examples of people to look at um, to my students and I try and I am lucky in that I just, I love doing that. So I love looking at work and research and stuff. And I just, it's, in many ways, it's what makes this job so fun. And I just feel like I'm extending my knowledge constantly and having a reason to look at things that I would love looking at anyway. So it's fantastic. Um, So yeah, I'm constantly trying to think of different ways to engage my students in that kind of material so in um, pointing them towards interesting artists and designers and just generally people doing stuff that I deem to be of high quality and of note. Mm -hmm. Um, Quality is very important but also I think not just in people making high quality things but in people having high quality ideas, so Mm -hmm. people having, usually people that are undergoing some kind of quite introspective, rigorous, considerate thought process behind their work, which tends to be the stuff that I'm drawn to, Um, even if the outcome of that work looks deceptively simple and easy. that that it looks like it's just flowed out of the person that's created it. I'm interested in the people that kind of have put the same level of energy into the thought process behind it, And, and to people who I know have also had a really diverse field of influences that are part of this beautiful kind of continuing chain of creativity where... We're all influenced and influencing each other, a feedback loop, um, which is only becoming more rich and interesting in contemporary culture because of the way that we share our ideas. So uh, th- yeah, what I'm trying to do in practical terms is just like, simple things like um, sharing stuff regularly with my students online through different formats um, whether that's just um, emailing folk, things that i've seen that either that are relevant to an individual or relevant to the whole group and then i've started a blog where i'm interviewing i want to do a very similar thing to yourself but interviewing people from around the world whose work that i love that i would like my students to engage with And I think it's important to create that original content rather than, I will also post up links to other interviews and just links to the the artist or designer or practitioner's work but I think for me it's really useful to ask questions of other people and to try and ask relevant questions from the student perspective and from what I know the students are working on at the time. These are the sort of people that I would love to bring in as guest speakers, but we do not have a budget to fly people from India and Holland and Mexico and Japan. Um, So interviewing them either by email or if I can meet up with them at a point where they happen to be in Scotland, then great. So that's one other thing that I'm doing. And to try and encourage quality um, and lastly building a kind of personal archive of examples of work that I deem to be of high quality and bringing them in to, to show students So, in particular recently I've been focusing on because I'm teaching in graphic design and illustration I've been focusing on quality print production and artists and designers and illustrators who engage with, inventively, with print processes. So I've been buying examples of beautifully printed and made books and artefacts and showing them to my students as examples of high quality stuff, so. Because
0: I can see from a, a lot of your work is the outputs are physical, so they mm. are printed. Yeah. yeah or otherwise and is, is that something that's really important to you to, to create those physical things and that craft of, of taking things from screen into, onto paper? I find it really exciting
1: and I possibly because I've done the two things, so digital drawing and physical drawing and making things by hand and making things on the computer together for such a long time. I don't really like to view them as separate tools, I like to see them as different processes that you can use for different phases of projects and I love interplay between the two things. I get very, very excited about ways of combining, let's call it, new technology with more traditional technologies. and. There's just so many possibilities and that, to me, is very exciting. But I do, I love the physicality of, of things and I think, um, I really enjoy seeing stuff on screen and designing artwork on screen. And um, I'm a huge fan of kind of large expanses of flat colour with other little bits of geometric areas of colour you know things like that simple aesthetic things please me greatly but um, looking at it on screen is not enough something new happens to it when you print it and as I was talking about uh, bringing in these examples of well printed things to show the students I really like engaging with the technical process of printing and because it is quite complicated and difficult to get your head around i am inspired by the quirks and limitations of physical processes and maybe on a computer there are infinite there are infinite possibilities so it's quite nice combining that with something that has limitations. Because it's a shortcut to, to having ideas. It allows you to come up with, if you know that you have to print in CMYK, there's four inks for you to deal with. I think I then build into my own projects ways of enhancing those limitations on the computer. That I'm really excited about seeing how they will be printed physically. To to use an example, just CMYK overprinting. So rather than making stuff up or out of dots of those colours to create a full colour image, I really love what happens when you print yellow and then print the cyan on top of it, and you get green. So something as simple as that, I still think the I have not even begun to scratch the surface of the potential for CMYK overprinting and it's something that I could probably do every day for the rest of my life and discover new things with so I don't know I'm rambling meandering through attempting an answer but yeah there is a, a lot about what happens in the physical process after it leaves the computer which is a little bit less known than the things you're doing on a computer. Maybe maybe because I'm quite familiar with the things I can do on a computer, physical processes do tend to have a more random element to them. You can build in random algorithms to things you do on a computer, which I love doing too. But. If you send something to a printer or you're like say you've gone back to shooting on 35mm film or 120mm film and you get it processed and it comes back with some like weird quirks of the chemical process that you didn't expect that random element to me is like a total bonus you know you Sometimes you could like, get that work back and think, ah, oh, it's not turned out the way it wanted it, but you could quickly flip back to thinking, that's amazing, <laughs> that's cool that it did that thing that I didn't want it to do. Yeah. I'm going to work with that. And yeah, so physical stuff, I find that it probably does add in that random element more.
0: And that's the end of part one so i decided to cut it there just so we've gone through tommy's journey to where he is now and the second episode is second part sorry is much more focused around his work and his process and a few of his thoughts and opinions um so you can check that out tomorrow so until then bye